Hello, and welcome to another episode of Agent Remarks by Redfin, where we dig into happenings in the real estate industry that matter to you as an industry professional. Thanks for joining us. I'm Paul, a Senior Strategy Manager at Redfin. And I'm Caitlin, Head of Industry Relations at Redfin. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Our second episode. <laughs> We're here. Second episode. Let's... <laughs> Stumble through this and see uh, see what comes out the other side. Well, I think this is going to be a good one. Um, we're really excited to be joined by Emily Chenever. Emily is the Chief Executive Officer of the Austin Board of Realtors, a 13,000 member organization. She is the youngest and first female CEO hired by the Austin Board of Realtors and brings over a decade of industry knowledge and experience to the organization. Emily also hosts Scratch That, a podcast focused on peeling back the layers on national trends in real estate. You can learn more about Scratch That at abor.com slash scratch that. Emily, we're so happy to have you. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. First things first, we want to know uh, how'd you get started in this crazy industry that we love so dearly? Oh, well, um, thanks for having me, first of all. And I'm really excited about the level of confidence you've got in this second episode. So I feel sure that something good will come out of the other side. Uh, <laughs> but my background in real estate was actually more focused in the advocacy realm of our organization. So I have a background with a degree in government affairs and political science and started working in government affairs for the association. And I just couldn't rid myself of realtors. I liked these guys too much and kind of stuck around, webbed my way around, and then landed in the seat that I'm in today. Awesome. That answers our second question, which was like, what drives you in the industry? Like what, what you strongly believe about? And I think uh, the advocacy piece totally makes sense there. Do you want to expand on yeah. that a little bit? Like what, what about advocacy really drives you? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess, you know, for somebody who is a student or academic of political science, Going and selling your soul to the devil by working as a lobbyist for any entity and any special <laughs> interest is a real special transition. But I was able to do it in this industry because I believe in, in what realtors do every day. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not just selling a house, but putting a family into a community, creating community by bringing families together, friends together, neighbors together, whatever it may be, it is a powerful thing. It's especially powerful given what home has meant to all of us across you know, the pandemic. But but I think early on, I recognized that even if I didn't always agree with all the policy positions of the organization, I really liked what these people do every single day. And I wanted to help them do it better. So you were a government affairs director, right? Yeah. With Yep. So looking back on your experience as a GAD, is there one accomplishment that really sticks with you that you're most proud of? Yeah, so Austin had a, a early on in my career, one of the things that probably helped me most, or at least that I cut my teeth on was a really tough issue where Austin wanted to mandate point of sale energy efficiency upgrades. So you'd have to make really significant upgrades to the property at the time of sale. And the idea was that the seller would make all of these upgrades and then the buyer would just inherit the product of that, which was a ridiculous notion in and of itself. But it really would have significantly priced out first-time home buyers. This was at a time when Austin was still affordable. That's yeah. not where we are today. I can't imagine what it would have done to our market today, but it was significant and it mattered to navigate the issue with both respect for the environmental impact of home ownership and energy usage in the context of such a green community in the way that Austin is, while also balancing the needs of the market and enabling it to continue to move forward and, and be, you know, drive itself through the natu natural conditions of the transaction as opposed to a mandate. Yeah, those things are so, I, I mean, 
They're, they're well-intentioned, right? I, there are a number of areas in California where I, I used to be a broker that, that have point of sale type requirements around uh, mostly water usage. I mean, Southern California, always always running out of water there, it seems like. But yeah. uh, they, they certainly added a bunch of complexity to the end of a transaction and just kind of confused consumers about who was doing what and when and the extra inspections that had to be done. They just really create like a much more logistically intensive transaction where you said energy efficiency stuff. Are you talking about light bulbs and and things like that or more so? Yeah, it was like to to the extent that it would have been upgrades up to a percentage of the value of the home. Oh, wow. So if you were in, if you were in like a half a million dollar home, it could be 5% of the value of half a million dollars make the upgrades you could oh make goodness. with that which was nuts. And I'll tell you the thing about it that was really interesting and the thing that agents should remember about the work that their associations do is that people I talked to at the city had not bought or sold a home in, you know, 30 years. They didn't remember what it was like. They didn't understand yeah. the option period. They they hadn't been in a transaction. Mm. And so this, this concept of like, oh, the seller's going to do this and it's going to be sweet. The buyer's going to assume this new home with all these upgrades. They're going to be so happy was just not, they didn't get it because they hadn't been in a transaction. And it sometimes it's not like you're wrestling for the outcome. You're just educating people and reminding them of what a, how a transaction yeah. works so that they can make good decisions. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good transition into a statement that Abor made earlier this year about shaking up how associations interact with membership. That, um, oh, you, go. you know, I remember reading your, your MM post uh, titled something like, we're done with this shit. Uh, and that was the Inman version of my headline, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was Inmanified. Um, yeah. and, and I think that was an attempt to kind of change the way that members get involved with ABOR, correct? Is, is that kind of what that was driving yeah, at? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, the Austin Board of Realtors or ABOR had a tumultuous couple of years, not unlike many associations have seen over the last few years, where many of us have been operating in governance systems that are antiquated, that include many sacred cows, including the chicken dinners we eat at all of these fancy receptions, <laughs> and are not necessarily conducive to getting an everyday agent involved in the business of the association or their marketplace. And so I think my goal was not to, you know, stop honoring people who had served the association for a long, long time and not to kick them out the door, but to say, you can stay. And also lots of your friends could join too, if we stop with the sacred cows and start thinking about how to be a more welcoming organization and find opportunities for folks who don't normally get involved to get involved. And, and that was the goal. And that's really what we've done, but it's, it's been a lot of hard work and we did have to um, shake things up a little bit and that didn't make everybody happy. What'd you have to shake up and, and like, how's it, how's it going today? Like, it, have you guys seen positive results from it? Do you have more interaction? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Probably the biggest transition is we completely overhauled the committee structure of the organization. We got rid of a bunch of committees, which never mm -hmm. makes people happy because some mm -hmm. folks have found their purpose and their value in that organization's, you know, the work of that committee that can be painful, but their value is still just as important. The thing that they did on the committee probably still exists in the organization. It might just be called something different or look a little different. If anything, we widen the net. So a good example of that is like with the global work that we're doing in international real estate work. We had a global committee. The committee was not super highly functioning. So we transitioned it to an advisory group with a big net networking organization underneath it. I've got more agents involved in international real estate in Austin now than we ever have before. 
And what's really interesting, they were probably most primed to pivot during the pandemic, all of their programming, because they work with people all over the country anyway. So hopping on a Zoom meeting was like not a big deal for them. A virtual program was an easy transition. It was beautiful to see them just fly, right? Because they weren't a traditional committee that had to ask the board if they could pass a motion and then host a thing. And then who's going to agree with them or not agree with it, you know? We just sort of unstrapped them. And I think we can think about lots of aspects of the organization that way if we're just comfortable kind of giving a little bit of latitude to the folks that want to get involved. So would you say that the the restructure, the genesis behind it was just improving efficiencies and uh, that's not what I would say. I would say the genesis behind it was like a rock bottom moment in the organization where we ran ourselves into some political nightmares. So we we had some unfortunate misgivings within the organization. We had board members that had been removed, people who were upset, lots of hurt feelings in very public headlines in the newspaper. Stuff was bad. It was not good for the organization, didn't look good. Nobody was happy to be a part of it. But I'm a firm believer in that kind of negativity breeding a new chapter that can be really positive. And that's that's what happened for us is we were able to sort of wipe our slate clean because nobody wanted to touch what had just happened. And then we were able to move forward and build a new foundation to build to build from. I was uh, listening to some Scratch That episodes in advance of this, and I was revisiting the one with Bob Goldberg, which was fascinating. Um, you talk about member engagement with him a lot in that podcast and your worry about losing touch with members as a result of the pandemic. What steps did you take to make sure that engagement remained a cornerstone of the association? You hear that often um, among local and state associations trying to demonstrate their value. And even going back to the advocacy work that you talked about before, really highlighting that and promoting that, I can imagine that was really difficult amidst a, a global pandemic? What steps did y'all take in order to try to relieve some of that, that pressure? Yeah, it's so funny. I, I think all of us are sort of saying like, what did we do last year? And how did we do that? <laughs> because it was so chaotic, and we're still in the midst of a lot of it. But, um, but I think what we really tried to do at Avor was double down on just delivering value that was needed in that moment. So you know, any program that was not essential to understanding how to operate within the context of COVID was unnecessary and needed to get wiped off the off the plate. And what we replaced that with was like conversations with builders about who was taking appointments and who was not, talking to title companies about how, re, what remote closings would look like, like very much real-time chats with the experts to ensure that folks that were in market were getting the information that they needed as fast as they could get it because it was changing every hour of every day. And that was really the beginning was very much about just getting information to our market so that they understood how to operate and what to expect. In terms of advocacy, I can tell you just really directly, and, and it's not because of me, it's just because of the nature of the size and power of our organization that it was a phone call and a text message to the mayor at 7.30 a.m. on a Monday that ensured the realtors were essential in Austin, Texas. Wow. That was long before the federal government had determined the FISA uh, stuff. It was before the state had determined realtors was essential, but like literally a call at 7.30 in the morning and me probably in a nightgown was what, <laughs> was what led the mayor to get it right. Um, and 
And that was tough. I mean, he was writing the ordinance and they were copying what other cities had done and other cities had not let uh, enabled real estate to function as an essential service. And so we knew to be ahead of that because our colleagues were sharing with us. But that is real time relationship. And that only comes from years and years of involvement at the organization level in the community. It's impressive. <laughs> Did you? <Thanks>. Um, <laughs> Paul and I are just like, wow. Did you? work with the Texas Association. I think the like the state to local association relationship is always one that um, uh, could probably be discussed more when we talk about engagement and like those those layers that are involved. Uh, did you work with them with the, the whole pandemic, COVID, essential? Yeah, it's uh, that's such an interesting thing, especially in the context of COVID, because, you know, politics aside are the way that we approached the pandemic as a country and, and communities across the country has been so disparate. And so the same was true even in Texas, right? Austin is the blueberry in a very red state. Politics became very quickly a part of the pandemic conversation. And it was apparent that the way that our local elected officials wanted to approach the pandemic was maybe not consistent with the way that the state leadership was going to. And so we've kind of had to wrestle in between that as an organization giving best practice guidance to people in market. So um, an example of that is there was a point at which the city and the county said, open houses are a no-go right now. That was early, you know, we're all sheltering in place. Everybody's freaking out about the world ending early, early in the, in the time. And the state was saying, no, you can have an open house. You're essential. Do what you want to do. ABOR's guidance was to not have an open house. I mean, at a point where I'm hearing the, the physicians call on people to stay home because they don't know what to do. I don't feel like it's responsible nor ethical for me as the CEO of the organization managing that market to give guidance otherwise. And, and the politics didn't matter at that point. So I think we were sort of working together to figure out our way forward at the same time that the science was evolving, that the, that the world was evolving to understanding what we were in the midst of. It was chaotic. And I think the relationship was still very important, even when we did not always line up on what the expectations should be. Yeah, we had a really similar experience here in, in Boise with Boise Regional Realtors and Intermountain MLS. And we we did the same thing in, in shutting off open houses. I mean, there was just this very fine line that we wanted to make sure that, you know, we were kind of following the directives that at the time were the, the best source of information that we had to make sure that the consumer and our members were all well cared for while still trying to respect that business needs to be done. And that like exact same things that, that you said, uh, just having those conversations with local officials and and making sure that membership was adequately represented and, and things of that nature were chaotic. But ultimately, like, because of those relationships and, and members membership being very vocal and opinionated about how things should go. Yeah. Uh, we were able to you know, keep real estate and essential service and you know, the market, as I'm sure it is in Austin, has been insane here in, uh, insane. in Boise. Yeah. And largely thanks yeah. to uh, the association working with local officials to, to keep it happening. So that's super interesting. And I, I have to imagine that agent members, like this wasn't all handled by association staff, that you had a lot of member engagement that, that helped you get through this. But like, what are some examples of 
of that, of like what, how members contributed to, I mean, you talked about a lot in the last couple of minutes, communication channels between the association, the association and membership. And how'd you guys know you were on the right track? What was the best way to communicate with your members and make sure that the message was landing with them? All that kind of stuff. Could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Oh my God. I could talk about that for hours. I mean, <laughs> you know, communicating to 14,000 people is hard, yeah. no matter what. It's a lot harder when that kind of chaos is happening. And so I think we just were really trying to figure out how to distill messages so that they could be fully realized by the membership. And that, that was hard. Yeah. Um, we managed a, a COVID dashboard with a whole bunch of resources linked up and all the stuff that you could expect. One of the things that was most probably collaborative between us and the membership was working through like all aspects of what it meant to be an essential business. So like, you know, who are all the different people that touch a real estate transaction and are all of them essential or not? And so the members were good about saying, well, what about a photographer? Like, can I still have photos taken or not? What about a XYZ vendor that we would not have thought of necessarily as a staff because we were just so focused on them, the agent independently. And so I think they were doing a good job of helping us advocate for them by telling us what they needed. There were also early on those times that local orders, you know, we cover a multi-county region and every county was determining its own set of guidelines. So we were constantly creating charts of like what to expect depending on where the property was, which was just nuts. I mean, I think back to it and I'm like, I don't know how anybody was operating, but our agents were just doing their best and they, and they did it, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, I think we learned a lot about like when you distill that message down, when you give somebody something that they have to have to have, they receive it really well. And so even now I'm telling my team, in fact, I just looked at a message today and I said, you need to cut out half of that. That doesn't matter right now. What matters right now is there's only 1100 active listings in our MSA and that's a problem. So if you're not answering that problem for them, you need to take the other half of that out. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's stuff like that. Like we learned, you know, and we need to use what we learned. So kind of bringing all of this full circle, we talked about um, the governance, governance restructure that you had went through and the, the leadership demonstrated uh, throughout the pandemic and the advocacy work and keeping members engaged. Did you find that the new structure of how your, your committees and your board worked, did, was that a benefit to handling? <laughs> yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I'm like, yes, all day long because it's, it's about the fluidity at which the staff can operate because there's trust between the board and the staff. And so like, I could not overstate this enough in many, many realtor associations across the country, there is great dysfunction between the staff and the volunteer. And it happens for all different reasons. It comes about for all different reasons. Everybody's to blame, whatever. But when that happens, when they don't trust each other, nobody wins. The staff's constantly worried that the board's playing gotcha. The board's trying to figure out how to get the staff to serve them the way that they want to be served. It's just not beneficial to anybody in the organization. But the reason that we were as successful as we were last year is because I knew that they had my back and they knew that I had theirs. And so every decision I made, whether I was pure, you know, fully confident or not, they were on board because we were all figuring it out together. And I, I think that that stemmed from the transition we've been through, the change that we've been through, the foundation that we built together. It's relationship that you can't, you can't fix in real time in the middle of the chaos. You have to have that coming in. And I was very, very lucky to have a lead. I had the best leadership in the country. I think they're, they're my bag of, of crazy probably, but I love them and they love me and they trust me. And that's why it worked. So that was, that's 
Perfect tie into my next question is like, what makes someone a good candidate for a volunteer leadership role within the association or the MLS for that matter? What I'm hearing from you is kind of a, a desire and passion for the greater good, right? Check the ego at the door. We're all in this together. We're one big community. What are some other leadership traits that you and the association have on your shortlist for folks who are looking to get involved? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's also about like, do you bring a different perspective? Can you come to the table with either a different aspect or, or niche in the market? Have you had experiences before real estate that make you really interesting and bring a different lens to what you're talking about or looking at? You know, we struggle just as most organizations do still with a lack of diversity across the board, especially. Um, and it's a problem because we're missing that voice and that's a problem. So I think, you know, continuing to find anybody who can bring something unique to the table, but be willing to hear the larger conversation, think about it from a 40,000 foot view. That's, that's what's most beneficial. It's okay to come with your own bias and to accept that that's who, what you are and who, what you've got, but you've got to be able to kind of rise above and see that bigger conversation. How big is, how big is your board, Emily? Uh, 14, or, oh, the board itself. Yeah. A little bigger than I'd like. Yeah. <laughs> 15 people. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, and you said about 14,000 members is, yeah. is what they're serving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're, uh, we're a smaller board in Boise, but we're, we're working on getting the board a little bit smaller too. I think there's that, there's that balance. It's not the people, it's just managing it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is. I mean, in a world of Zoom, it's fine, right? Except for managing people's microphones when they don't. I don't know how we haven't figured that out yet. I mean, it's been a year, but uh, yeah, that's that's the biggest challenge. It seems like we, we run into with the people yeah. size, but less people is it's delicate, right? Because less people helps you be a little bit more agile, helps you be more nimble. Uh, yeah, just more nimble as an organization. At the same time, like I, you mentioned that you serve mm-hmm. multiple counties, which I assume means that like, at least on the MLS side, you're probably serving multiple associations. So we're, and... we're a wholly owned MLS. We're full MLS okay. association. There are neighboring, there is a neighboring MLS and neighboring associations, but we're the largest okay. by far across the region and try to play nice with our friends. Yeah. That's cool. That's helpful then. At least you don't have to balance that. Yeah, We've got well. six or seven association <laughs> members that, you know, but we're also wholly owned by our uh, by our big brothers over at Boise Regional Realtors. So it's 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 complicated. Um, but how to my question after all of that rambling is how do you uh, make sure that fourteen thousand people are adequately represented by fifteen people? Like how? Oh, you, that's a great question. Yeah, how do you make sure that all voices are accounted for? Yeah, that's a great question. I was thinking too about. I think Caitlin said, you know, a smaller board is more nimble. And I was thinking, well, sometimes, but sometimes not, you know, like it's really, it's less probably about the number of people and more about the mechanics of how they operate and, Mm -hmm. and back to that, you know, relationship and and trust stuff um, and the structure of your decision-making. But it's, you know, in terms of how you represent the people, being in constant communication and community with your membership enables you to make informed decisions. So like I had a meeting today that the whole point of it was for, you know, several market experts to tell me what is actually happening on the ground because it's crazy town. And I am hearing it's crazy town from lots of people every day, but that'll be the most important thing I do all day is to hear directly from members who are experiencing it, what they are experiencing. And the same is true for all of those board members. They're hearing from their peers. They're in community with folks um, on the other side of a deal every day, really having conversation 
One of the things that shifted with our board makeup is that many of them are real deal producing active agents and brokers. Mm -hmm. And that has not always been the case. We've um, had folks who have not always been as active in the market. Maybe they were more seasoned, you know, not, not as invested in their business itself anymore, but still invested in the organization. But I think you get a different perspective when you've got these really active, like bread and butter agents involved because they're, they're talking to you real talk about what's going on. And it helps us as an organization make good decisions for our members. Yeah, Which great. is expressly important in light of all of the moving pieces and constant changes that are happening in the industry. Uh, so recently the NAR and DOJ reached a settlement making quite the splash around commission transparency and access to lockbox. It got uh, a lot of internet comments from realtors, uh, <laughs> expressing their feelings on this. What is the, what is Austin's, uh, thought process around the settlement? Are you guys just kind of holding tight until the DOJ and NAR reach consensus? Are you in keeping your members in the loop? What's, what's your process? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, first like let's just acknowledge that it's it's really difficult to understand all of the things that are happening right now it's there's a lot going on in our industry there always has been but these are like really landmark shifts and and the tide moves when that happens and I think for agents who are just trying to serve their consumers every day who are just trying to be in their market and do their work this is stuff that is overwhelming to some degree. So I try to recognize that when we approach our leadership to have conversation about it, I try to recognize it in the way that we talk to our members about it. It's hard. So I, that's every, everybody's got to remember that part. That's kind of my, my yeah. preface, but um, in terms of ABOR's approach, you know, we're in conversation with NAR uh, where, where we have questions of, of which there are many, many, because we're all still trying to figure out what's next, you know, We're trying to think ahead about what the opportunity is with this change. It's, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of benefit one day. It's, I think everybody really, not everybody, some folks will initially take a fear-based approach to when there's a big shift like this. That's not my nature. That's not how I lead. And so I don't think that that's the way that ABOR will approach it, but we don't yet know how to make the right opportunity from the change um, because we lack some details still. So we're still figuring it out. That's fair. Yeah, like I think I think there's probably a lot of organizations that are in the same boat right now, and I think there's that there's always that pressure uh, either through an association or an MLS to think about who your member is. I mean, it's that's very well defined, right? Your members are the agent members, and the participants are the brokers, but ultimately like we all serve consumers and it feels like there's a real, a real uh, uneasy, not uneasiness, but strain between like, who does the association truly serve? Like, you know, I know at at our MLS, we've gotten comments from members about like, oh, you serve the consumer more than you serve us as the members. And it's like, well, you know, we're we're trying to help you serve the consumer in in, in a better way. And the NAR DOJ stuff all feels like it's very strongly pointed at, at that intersection. So it'll be really interesting to see how things pan out. But do you consciously think about uh, how you serve the consumer at large versus members, or do you kind of approach it like members first? What What do you guys think of as an as an organization? What I think is that what makes the market go round and what makes the work that our members do really powerful is when their clients feel served and they understand what's going on. Totally. Well and said. so, like, if we if we start there, and I and I start with like you know, how is an agent having this conversation with their client and how does a client interpret that in the context of their home buying experience? 
whatever those things may be, then we're probably going to land in the right spot. If that's the, the place that we're coming from, the lens that we're coming with. And so it can be hard for the, for the agents, for the leadership and the volunteers to think that way sometimes, because there's fear around, you know, what this is going to mean for them and how their business could change. And I appreciate that. I mean, this is what they do. This is what puts food on their table every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's changing and that is scary, but I think it's up to me and my organization at least to help guide them to really think about it at that very simple level of what's the relationship to your client like? What does your client need and want? How do we make the market go round? Everybody's going to be okay. Yeah, everybody's going to be right? okay. And then let's take a breath. <laughs> let's take a breath. And then we're going to we're gonna figure out our next steps from there. But I think we're really trying. I, there's going to be opportunity from this. This is not just going to be change that feels uncomfortable and difficult. And so I'd rather be on the opportunity side than the, hey, uncomfortable and difficult side. All day. Yeah, I love that. All right. So so that's one of the big changes that's happening in the industry. And just curious, what are you most excited about uh, over the next five to 10 years? You obviously have created a solid crew uh, of leaders behind you and working with you at the Austin Board of Realtors as you face these crazy changes in the industry, both scary and exciting. What what gets you motivated and uh, looking forward to in the next Next five to 10 years. Oh my God. Five to 10 years is a long time. I, I just like to make it to <laughs> next month right now. But... I mean, not all years are like 2020. So yeah, like... yeah no, I'm like, oh, <laughs> let me catch my breath. Um, <laughs> no, I think, you know, one thing is, you know, Austin, Texas is an amazing place and it's really, it's unique and it's special. And there's something about it that lots of people just want to keep coming here, which is great. But but we've got some real challenges with that and we've an opportunity and we really need to manage our growth differently. I think we're going to grow up and into ourselves a little bit. Like we're getting our, our big kid britches on. And so we've got to figure out what that looks like for Austin. So I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to be a part of that and have our members be at the table around this conversation. I think the business of real estate is shifting so fast and, and it's exciting. You know, I think it's, it's neat to see what can come from the importance of the role that people play in the transaction when it marries well with technology is going to be really beautiful if we get it right. And so I think if we'll all approach it with that same level of excitement and positivity, then I think it's going to be really powerful experience and it, it'll transform the way that the industry operates in a great way, but I don't know what that's going to look like yet. So we'll see. No. Yeah. Five to 10 years feels like a million years from now. And if I could just like get on a plane in 21, I'd be happy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Crystal ball isn't quite working. Uh, at this right. Well, we talked a lot about associations and uh, membership and how they overlap and COVID and all the stuff that you managed through, through that. If you were speaking to kind of an agent that doesn't know where to start. They know they want to get involved. They know, they feel like passionate about you know, sharing their expertise and getting involved. Where would you recommend that somebody start? I would like them to first open the email that the association <laughs> sent them. I would just like them to start there. Okay. Back to baby okay. steps. Okay, open That's the it. email. Yes. The email probably has great information for you about what's happening in your market. And I just, for all my fellow colleagues, I have to give that. 
But next, I would say this. I mean, figure out what part of, of the organization is interesting to you. If you're like super into learning, then help us pilot new classes and talk to me about what kind of courses you want to see or get involved in the professional development committee. If you are um, a governance person, think about signing up for budget or bylaws or, you know, govern government governance nerdy stuff, which is awesome to me. Um, you know, there's probably a place, there, there is a place for anybody. I think uh, folks get are they want to be asked. And so like, let me help you now and, and be clear to everybody listening, you are being asked. Every association in the country would love for you to come knock on the door and hang out with us. Um, call a staff member and just chat to them about what's going on and where you can plug in. That, that'll look different in every organization, but all of us would be lucky to have any of you engaged to the extent that you want to be. You can tell too, just looking at your, um, on your website right now, the, the tabs are build, lead, advocate, change, join, very much action items. I find your approach really refreshing, Emily. Um, you're, I, I crave authenticity in this ridiculous world that we live in. And you, my friend, are as authentic and real as it gets. Uh, and I really appreciate that you kind of approach at times sticky association issues through that lens. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. If folks want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Do you have a, a Twitter or anything that you want to promote? <laughs> yeah, I don't tweet because it's overwhelming to me. I'm on Instagram. I'm at M. Chenevert, which is E-M-C-H-E-N-E-V-E-R-T. Uh, and I like to hang out there and on Facebook. Um, of course, I'd love it if you'd listen to the Scratch That podcast right after you listen to the Redfin one. Um, yeah, it's great. And, I listen to a bunch of it too. It's fantastic. Oh, y'all are sweet. And I'm, I'm really so thankful to hang out with you and have these conversations and really appreciate being, being asked to be on the podcast. Emily, thanks for taking the time. It was so much fun. You bet. Well, there it is. Another episode of Agent Remarks by Redfin. Thanks again to Emily for the great conversation. That was a blast. We'd love to hear what you all think. If you've got any feedback about this episode or suggestions on who we should talk to next, uh, email us at agentremarks at redfin.com. Thanks again for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.